You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right. Happy Monday, everybody. Weekend is over, and yesterday was Father's Day, and I must say, I had, I've only been a father like three and a half years, but. This Father's Day was by far the best Father's Day I ever had. I got to go on a hike with my family. I went on a pool party with my family. I I watched the movie Zootopia with my family. And I tell you what, guys, if you haven't seen Zootopia, it's a must-see. It's all the rave if you're, you know, three, four, five, six years old. So uh, if you got kids, watch Zootopia. It's a badass uh, cartoon. <laughs> but but today is kind of a big podcast, man. We're we're not only giving away a bow from Bowtech, and I'm going to talk about that here shortly. But what I'm really proud of is on this podcast, you're going to start hearing a little bit more talk from me and from an organization called Two Percent for Conservation. And I'm not going to try to explain what 2% for conservation is, but I feel it's something that needs to be brought to everybody's attention because this organization kind of hits home on a, on several different levels as far as what the companies, you know, this is a gear podcast, right? So I bring companies on, we talk about their products, and I think this is just a perfect platform to not only discuss what companies in the outdoor industry should or could be doing to help conservation efforts, but what you, the listener, as an individual could or should be doing to promote conservation efforts as well. So I'm really excited that uh, I recently got a chance to talk with Jeff Spazito from 2% for Conservation, and uh, he gave me a quick heads up And this is, like I said, there's going to be a lot more coming down the pipe from these guys. But what should we be doing? What First off, what is 2% for conservation? And what should we be doing to help with conservation efforts? Yeah, Dan, 2% for conservation is a a newly formed nonprofit that we just launched in April with the, the goal of helping conservation groups raise more money and and get more volunteers so they can be more successful at their mission work. So essentially, long story short, what we do is we certify businesses and build a network of businesses and individuals who are committed to giving 1% of their time, which is roughly 21 hours based on a 2,000-hour work year, and then 1% of their money back to conservation causes. So if you were to see a 2% for conservation logo on any company's product, you can be assured that that company gives back 1% of every sale to a conservation group. And then beyond that, they also volunteer 21 hours 
throughout their employees to, uh, to conservation causes. Can you give us an idea of what companies are involved? Yeah, sure. So we, uh, so we started with uh, Sitka Gears, the, the first company, and they are the kind of founding company that came in before, before we even existed, got behind the idea, saw the value in it, and the opportunity to really kind of build a network of other businesses and, and make an impact on conservation. Since, uh, since April is really when we've been starting to uh, reach out to businesses to get people involved and, and to get new businesses signed up. We, uh, we've had some great conversations. We now have six other new businesses who have committed to coming on board. We haven't announced those businesses yet as we're working through the, the kind of PR plan with them. Uh, but we have another clothing company that's going to come on with Sitka. We have uh, a couple other uh, technology companies, some hard goods companies, and, uh, and we're excited to announce those hopefully in the coming weeks here uh, uh, who they are. Ind- individuals can you know, can pledge their time and their, their dollar amount too. What's the difference between the, you know, the companies and an individual, let's say like myself. Sure. Yeah. So that's a great question. And, and yes, you're right that there's a, there's an opportunity for any individual to become a certified, what we are calling a certified true conservationist as well, where, where if you do the meet the same criteria as an individual, give back 1% of your income and, and volunteer roughly 1% of your time, we believe that's worthy of recognition and that's going to make an impact on conservation groups that's going above and beyond. So, so similar you, that you can come through, uh, through our process on our website, which is fishandwildlife.org and, and get certified and, and individuals are so important to this network and building this because, uh, we need the businesses to give back to, to really hit that scale uh, of a high dollar value of incremental dollars going to conservation. But it's, uh, if, individuals aren't purchasing products from companies who give back, then those companies aren't giving back that 1% of sales. So it kind of comes full circle. We need, we need everybody to be involved. We need individuals to be giving back uh, their time and their money and volunteering. We need them to be demanding that the businesses and the brands that they love and that they purchase are giving back as well. Uh, and that's really when we're going to see the, the impact to conservation. Perfect. Now, when, People think about donating their time to conservation. A lot of people think that you have to go out and do something big like rent a bulldozer and create like (laughs) wild, you know, waterfowl wildlife habitat. Let us tell us if if that is the case or if there's something on a smaller scale that individuals can do to meet that uh, those hours, the time hours as well. Yeah, yeah, no. For sure. And that's that's a great question as well. Since we launched in April, we've had quite a few uh, people email us saying, what can I do? I live in an area where where I don't know how to get involved. And and this is uh, I think this is an opportunity where we can really help conservation groups reach out and get volunteers. But but to answer your question, yeah, if you have the capability to do a large scale project like that and the expertise and know how that's great, but that's not at all necessary to make an impact. It's as simple as you know, an, an example, what I do, how I get my, my hours is I volunteer for a local mule deer foundation committee here in, in Montana. And, and, uh, we plan a banquet, an annual banquet every year. I sell, uh, raffle tickets at the banquet. Uh, and it's as simple as that being involved at that level is, is crucial to helping conservation groups raise money that they need to do their mission work. Um, but if you, if you really do get interested and you go look on, you know, QDMA's website or Mule Deer Foundation or the Elk Foundation or Ducks Unlimited, 
I think you'll be surprised at the types of opportunities to volunteer that you see. A lot, most of these groups have, you know, regional rendezvous where, where it's a big work party and they get out and they go remove fence or they do, you know, some habitat repair and, and, uh, and that's an awesome way to be involved too. And it's a great way to meet, uh, to meet people in your community that are like-minded, passionate hunters and conservationists as well. So, so the opportunities, I think there's, there's a lot more opportunities to volunteer and be involved with conservation than people might first realize when they, when they start thinking about shoot, what can I do? And then lastly, um, you've already mentioned fishandwildlife.org is your guys's website, but where else can uh, listeners go to find out more information about Two Percent for Conservation? So uh, fishandwildlife.org is, is definitely our uh, the best spot to get as much information as you can find to learn about who we are, what we're doing, how it works. Uh, also follow us on on social media, um, Facebook and Instagram, Two Percent for Conservation, Twitter, uh, to stay in tune with with things as they evolve. As we uh, sign on new business members, we will announce them through our social channels. So, so definitely pay attention there because we, we want you guys to know about who those businesses are that are committed to giving back. Uh, and then outside of that, as, as we bring on new businesses, look for that logo on packaging, on hang tags, in, in other brands' marketing collateral to know that they do give back and they are certified to give back 1% of their sales and, and volunteering 1% of their time. When it comes to conservation, if you guys have never thought about what you can do to help conservation efforts, now is the time to start thinking about it. If you've thought about it, but maybe in the past have never taken any action, now is the time to take action. If you guys have taken action somewhat, but not really focused on on what you were doing, right now is the time to focus that energy in, in, and really give more. Uh, give 1% of your time, give 1% of your earnings, and you're thinking, man, $500 a year. That's You break that down, that's like if you make $50,000 a year, that is $10 a week. I know myself, I probably spend $10 a week on ice cream or you know, a six-pack of beer. And when it comes down to it, I am willing to give up those things and start to focus on what I am leaving my children and how I can make this, you know, continue the hunting heritage that this country has. And I really do think that if we all unite under one umbrella, whether you are a business owner or you are just an individual, both people are passionate about the outdoors and passionate about hunting and, and hunters have the most to lose in a scenario like this. If our, if our ground is developed, we lose hunting ground. If there's pollution or, or something that's not cleaned up because there's the state may not have funds for it. Guess what? We lose our hunting grounds. So throughout the next month or two months, the, the rest of this summer, I'm going to get with Jeff. We're going to give you guys as much information as possible to, to make that decision to say, yes, I'm a two percenter and I'm going to give 1% of my time and I'm going to give 1% of my income. And, uh, and that way you are a part of conservation efforts. You don't just talk about it. You take action. And, uh, one thing that I've learned over the years is 
money talks, bullshit walks. So if you're serious about it, throw some cash and, uh, yeah, that's really all I have to say. You're going to be getting more information. Now, when it comes to this bow giveaway, this all kind of ties in into uh, each other. And I'm going to give you some more information after this podcast. So thank you guys very much. I know this has been a longer introduction, but thanks you. Thank you. Thank you for, for listening, listening to this and giving this a chance. It's very important. And uh, so without further ado, Let's get into the podcast with Mike Hernandez from Botech. All right. On the phone with me now is John Hernandez from Botech. How's it going today, John? It's going wonderful, Dan. Good, good. So uh, before we got on the, you know, the record, you know, we started recording, we talked a little bit about weather, you know, that's the standard topic. But uh, the, the question that I always like to ask people at the very beginning of these is, because really, this it's the most important thing in life. Don't let my wife hear anybody say you know hear me say that. But how was how was your 2015 hunting season? You know, it was uh, it was uh, there's there's times I think a lot of hunters can relate that if they were to be asked that question coming off a bad year, they'd be like, you know, it was good. The weather was nice. I had a tough year. Um, you know. Uh, but did, didn't really harvest too much. You know, those aren't that fun. But interestingly, I, I get to say that uh, 15 was actually one of the, the better years I've, I've personally had. I, I typically don't, you know, having been in the industry for, for, for quite a long time, I used to own a pro shop. I uh, was an enthusiast for many years before that, um, and then not working for this manufacturer, uh, Botech, since, uh, you know, pretty much had involvement since 1999 when they started. Uh, you know, I try to keep my professional and then what I enjoy the most is getting out there and hunting and doing those things a little bit separate. So I don't share a lot of stuff, but, um, all that said, uh, last year was one of the better years in terms of, uh, of actual numbers of animals that I shot. It was phenomenal. I went to, went to Africa, a hundred, three different States. Um, I ended up, you know, harvesting about 60 animals with my bow last year. So it was it was pretty good. <laughs> do you have a Do you have a freezer big enough for sixty animals? Well, you know, so in in Africa, that was. Uh, uh, I wish I did have a freezer. I actually wish I had more more uh, more meat in my freezer. Um, but uh, some of the places I hunted, like Africa, that you know, there's there's certain regulations about bringing meat back and stuff. But fortunately, we we hunted in a place where we were able to donate uh, a lot to the owner of the ranch, and that particular ranch owner had a family that had a local store and were able to sell that meat or, or donate it to a lot of the, the people there that, you know, couldn't afford otherwise to, you know, to, to have meat in the freezer. So that was really great. But, um, yeah, I, I wish I could have brought uh, some meat home. There's some pretty cool animals over there. So what about here in the States? Did you, I, I take it from Oregon. Uh, did you do any elk hunting or mule deer hunting? I did, you know, uh, it, uh, mule deer, I did not do any mule deer hunting, did a lot of whitetail hunting elk, um, hunted Montana and Oregon for elk. Uh, Oregon was, a was a bus, albeit I didn't hunt a lot of days here. Montana has always been good, uh, shooting an elk there, you know, uh, every year has, has been, uh, not easy, but it's, 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 uh, it's been fortunate to, to do that. Um, hunted, um, blacktail season here in Oregon, um, shot a small buck, uh, blacktail hunting, and um, hunted in Texas and Montana for whitetail and was able to harvest, you know, multiple deer uh, as well. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, just uh, it was it was a good year. Good. So transitioning on to your responsibilities with Bowtech, why don't you tell us a little? You know, tell us what your role is and and what you do for the company. So official title is uh, director of of uh, Bowtech, and really what that is is you know my primary uh, primary role is you know, through product development. So I, I get the opportunity to be able to work with a, uh, several smart uh, engineers that we've been adding to that team and uh, really just kind of run, run the product development. I'm a hub to marketing, sales, operations, uh, in terms of when the product is developed, you know, integrating uh, what we, you know, first and foremost, it starts out with meeting, you know, our, our main goals is to meet the consumer's goals. Uh, it's challenging year after year for customers uh, to meet those customers' needs, you know, because we're still after some a lot of the same things. You know, we want a quiet bow. We want a balanced bow. We want to, you know, uh, we want performance. For some guys, that means a very fast. Other guys, that means, you know, we want to be have something that, uh, that we can just draw back and it shoots and, you know, does a lot of the work for us. So, you know, once you get those, uh, one of the, one of the challenges as a manufacturer is meet the person's, you know, if you, if you ask, I've asked, you know, certain consumers and dealers before, Hey, what do you want? And they said, well, you know, I want a bow that's got an, you know, 32 inch axle axle and eight inch brace height shoots 370 foot a second, but it draws like a, you know, smooth as glass and whisper quiet, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yeah, I'd like two of those myself. <laughs> um, but, but once we get those, the, the ideation part from the consumer market, implementing that within uh, the timelines that are needed, uh, you know, a specific one is, as most people are aware that flagship bows pretty much, you know, every year, some of the manufacturers have, and that's no different than automobile makers. You know, they have a, a flagship half ton pickup every year. A lot of these, you know, truck manufacturers. So it's, it's, it's doing that meeting the customer's needs, but not trying to do it in a way that you're just, you're, you're doing it at a pace that they can't keep up. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's listening to that part from the consumers, bring that in house, present it to the engineering team, taking it from that point to really working with the all functions of the company to integrate uh, the teams together, but bring the ideation into a point where we can actually get it out the door and a meet their needs, but B obviously do it where we're, we're profitable and able to, you know, make sure that we have uh, longevity in this industry. Now, from a marketing standpoint, how do you, how do you determine what, the end user, the consumer actually wants. And if you're trying to make a bow, you know, hey, I want a magic bow. It's, you know, it shoots 700 miles an hour. It's quiet. I can hold it at full draw for days, you know, you know, every, the perfect bow. But, you know, with some of that, there's, there's definitely give and take. How do you gather that information uh, from the end user? And, and second, what is there a trend? Do more people like the fast bows, or do is there a higher percentage that likes the easy draw, you know, the easy, the better shooting bow? So um, the the first part is, you know, when we, you know, fortunately we have a lot of uh, a lot of avenues to be able to gather information. So as Bowtech started, you know, I won't speak for the bow manufacturers, but I imagine it's very similar. Uh, we we're we're still fairly young, uh, really, you know 
coming into the market in, in 1999, having our first ATA show, uh, the Archery Trade Association show in January of 2000. We came onto the scene with speed. We had a bow called a Black Knight, which is a dual cam, which dual cams weren't revolutionary in terms of technology. However, having one that shot 350 foot a second really raised some eyebrows. Um, so speed always sells. Um, and, and we saw that. And then we had a lot of enthusiasts here. We have a lot of passionate people that, that know archery. And, I, you know, I really don't know that that's any different than a lot of the really solid archery companies out there, bow manufacturers as well as accessories as well, uh, you know, uh, industry as well. And so what happens is you got people that know the product. Building a business around people that have passion, that's, that's, that's a bigger challenge. But we have that here today. So we got a lot of people that are archery enthusiasts, so we can pull from that. But what you don't want to do is project your needs on the industry. So to give you an example, we're in the West Coast. So we're Western hunters, but we're a drop in the bucket compared to the you know east of the mississippi for example where, where a lot of a lot of our valued customers are uh you know hunting whitetail uh, a lot of times in a tree stand um you know the, an average shot is, is said there's a, a statistic that says you know it's 19 20 yards is the average shot where out west it, it can be a little different but if we were to project our needs on that market it wouldn't work so the reality of what we're trying to do is really have an understanding of who is using our product, A, and then segment that by, you know, you have guys that buy flagship bows every year. That's a smaller number than the guys that upgrade every three to five years. And then there again, that's still a smaller number than a lot of guys spending not $1,000 a year, but somewhere in the four to $600 range. So understanding those segments and then within each of those segments for us, we listen to the customer and try to be best in class within those segments. And in terms of, uh, you know, how, how we need to know that we have an ear to the ground all the time because we're constantly talking to dealers who are talking to consumers, uh, through social media, we have interaction with consumers say, Hey, this is what I'd like to do. Um, another resource is, is always your customer service and, and warranty. Uh, for example, it's like, hey, I really like this bow, but, you know, man, this grip feels like X. We gather that information and go, hey, this is what's trending. People want something with grips. Um, hey, I really like this bow, but it's too fast or too slow. Um, the, you know, so we start taking, you can't, you know, we start taking the data points that seem to be a common denominator. And that really tells you, you know, what it is that, that, that we want to go out and attack. And so, again, those resources come from listening to all those different avenues. You're never going to hit it, you know, uh, all together, but, it, but, it, but it's important. Gotcha. So backtracking just a little bit to 1999 when you guys first released, you know, the, your first bows with Bowtech. How did this company get started and what was the goal with the first bow at Bowtech? So, uh, again, uh, 1999, the company literally started with an engineer and a CEO. And really, the, the initially, the intent from those, that, that duo was to develop CAM technology and then license it into the industry. Um, so we had some patented technology at the time, uh, uh, patent pending at the time. And they, they kind of said, hey, you know what, let's start a company. 
And um, rather than licensing, let's just get this thing going. And so it was a romantic idea. Fortunately, we're successful today and we're still here. Uh, but, you know, uh, at that point, what, what had happened was they, they, they reached out to some dealers and actually uh, myself and um, another gentleman, I guess that implies that I'm a gentleman, but another gentleman that, that <laughs> works here, um, we actually owned an archery shop in the late 90s. And they came to us and said, hey, would you like to you know, look at this, this product? And, um, you know, at the time, literally, they pulled out mill finish bows out of a vehicle. And when I say mill finish, it was uh, the riser was aluminum, not anodized or camouflage. The limbs were not painted anodized or, or, or excuse me, camouflage. And the cams were just raw aluminum mill state. I looked at them and went, oh, my gosh, you know, this is this is very interesting. Uh, shot them and went, OK, this is this is really cool. There was advancements in technologies and specifically in the area of speed, um, which is a big advantage because even then to get a bow to hit 310, 15 foot a second was a lot. Now we had bows that were hitting like 320 and 350. That was like eyebrow raising. And so from that point to, uh, to current state, you know, we have really, again, just listened to what consumers wanted and really started developing our products along those lines. So there's been a lot of things that, that, that have happened since that point to now, and it really hasn't been that, that long a period of time. You know, I go to the, I, I try to go to the ATA show every year and walk the aisles and every bow, you know, every bow manufacturer comes out with a new, a new bow, um, a better bow than what they've previously done. How competitive is the bow market and how do you guys try to, I guess, at the end of the day, be on top when the dust settles? You know, um, it's been interesting with, with Bowtech. Of course, everybody wants to succeed, but we've never really gone out there and go, you know what? We want to take out bow manufacturer X, Y, and Z. We want to be kings. Of course, you want to compete and be there, but really, we've, our focus has been on us and what we can do and the consumer. And um, I would say that we've hit the mark in some places. There's been, you know, there's definitely room for growth and opportunity. And we've, we've missed it in some places, to be quite honest with you. But at the end of the day, it's our desire to continue to build uh, products that are cutting edge. Um, our motto is refuse to follow. And I think, you know, um, this industry is, uh, there's, you know, no industry gets anywhere without somebody going, hey, that's a great idea. And then let me one up it or take that idea and add this and make it a little bit better. So there, you get some of these incremental things. But, you know, um, as I look at Bowtech, um, I think about some of the things that we've introduced in terms of riser technologies, cam technologies, uh, material materials using in our in our limbs, cams, and how we work them together where we can optimize uh, performance. And so what what that, I really believe, keeps people interested. They know something different technologically is going to come from us. I think as you think about, a, a, you know, I had a, uh, a CEO that I have a high respect for that, that taught me this. He said, if you close your eyes and think about a brand, it should conjure up an image. And I really believe that as what we've heard is when people think about Bowtech, they think about technology. And, you know, um, in, in essence, it's in our name, Bow Technology. So when we started, that's really what separated. We had technology that changed the game. It started off with speed, but I'll contrast that to the bow that entered into the market in 1999 and 2000, where we had 
a boat that hit 350 foot a second. It was great. That's not where our main sales came from. Uh, it came from some of the other boats that we had, or single cams at the time, that had really great performance. It really hit the meat of the market. Now, in 2010, we hit the market with another boat that hit 350 foot a second. So what changed in a decade? If you look at our Destroyer 350 in 2010 versus our Black Knight in 2000, you, we really raised the bar in terms of hand shock noise, vibration, um, you know, and the, the ability to draw that bow and not feel like it's going to pull your shoulder out. When it goes off, it's not going to rattle your hands, you know, the feelings loose in your teeth or, or vibrate so hard that your fingers go numb. We raised the bar in all those performances to the point where the speed was almost a by the way. It's like, really, are you serious? This bow just did that. So that's really where we've, we've changed and really what keeps us pressing. How can we make those more efficient? And as you look from 2010 to this point, one of the big areas that really separates us from the industry, specifically on our flagship bows, is that we have cam systems and, and riser geometries um, where we can actually start catering to the customer, meaning which bow given a manufacturer, which bow do I want to buy? Do I want to buy a 32-inch axle axle or the 33? So they nail down the size. But do I want this cam or that cam? Because this one draws this way, that one draws that way. Well, if you look at our flagship bows, like this year, our, our BTX that we have, um, we have you know a technology called power shift technology, which literally allows the guy to cater the draw force curve to how he likes. So in layman's terms, when I draw it, Hey, this draw is stout. It's ready to rock. I put it in another setting. Wow, I can really control this draw force curve. I don't have to buy two bows. Um, I can really cater this thing to to me. And where we separates us is even in our smooth settings, in terms of performance and speed, hand shock noise and vibration, um, we we really we really uh, have set a high bar. So, uh, in regards to the technology, how much of uh you know, over the years, has it been, has the focus been on micro, I guess, micromanaging the, the same technologies as opposed to going out and finding completely new technology to add to your products? So um, there's, there's power in, in platforming, meaning if you have a, a solid technology, um, so to give you an example, as again, I'll, I'll just using us as, as our own example, we started off with single cams and dual cams in 2000. That wasn't really anything different in terms of cam technology that was in the market in those, in those uh, you know, same years with other bow manufacturers. But what we did do is we were able to take some of those technologies and raise the bar and performance, specifically speed. Uh, 2007, we introduced a new riser technology called Center Pivot, and now we've have several iterations uh, in terms of geometries and how that looks. But that camp, or that, excuse me, that riser uh, Center Pivot technology, we're running to current date, um, and really, it's allowed us to gain a lot of a lot of efficiency. So we've ridden that platform. Um, we went from dual cams the first 10 years, 2010, introducing, or excuse me, 2005, introducing a dual cam, but the very first company to introduce what we trademark as binary cam technology, which is in essence two cams, but slaving them together. So you take care of timing issues and vertical knock travel that you would get in conventional dual cams that were around for decades. So we rode that technology till 2010. We still have that standard binary technology in our lineup today, but in 2010, we introduced uh, 
an overdrive binary technology, which incorporated a split bus system into a binary. So again, layman's terms, your horizontal knock travel and vertical knock travel is completely uh, taken care of in the system itself. Again, that's an advantage that you know other other uh, systems that don't offer you. So we've 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 introduced we're the very first uh, bow company to introduce a flexible cable retention system, and we've had that platform uh, since 2009 uh, as well. And so the as we as we look at things, there's some foundational stuff that we'll do, but of course we're always looking at other avenues to change technologies. And so one of the bigger ways that we've really changed that is in the CAM technologies, we started under this power shift that I explained earlier, is allowing within the system a guy to be able to change and cater uh, how he adjusts that boat for himself. Gotcha. Now, I guess moving moving forward, and, and this is kind of a very broad question, do you feel that there is a peak to uh, archery technology as far as um, you know compound bows are concerned? Um, are we on a are we on kind of a plateau, or I mean, is there is there is there a ceiling to this, or is there? I guess are is are bow manufacturers going to be able to continue to innovate and provide this you know new technologies every year? Or are there limitations to what um, I guess end users want as far as you know the, the categories that make up a bow? So the answer to that is um, yes. We I, I believe that, well first yes to both. Yes, there's limitations, um, and yes, uh, w- even with that, we will be we will be coming out with stuff that will continue to change the industry. Uh, absolutely. I think in terms of archery as a whole, uh, the reality is, is it's still deemed as a primitive sport. So, uh, for example, when I first started, um, you know, in the late eighties, uh, as an archery hunter, you know, there was, um, we were very limited on, and bows were big, heavy, bulky, but back then, they were still cutting edge based on what was offered a couple decades before. So you always have that man, how could it, how could it advance any, any way possible? And, um, but it just continues to do that material properties, um, you know, machining processes, different types of technologies allow you to take some of the same components and make them way more efficient. So that's never going to change. However, you know, I remember when I first started up, man, it was a struggle to get 220 feet a second uh, for my draw length at 27 and a half inches. And the way we did it was overdraws and, you know, 85 pound bows and that kind of stuff. Well, today I can shoot a, you know, mid low sixties with a 375, 400 grain arrow and hit 300 foot a second relatively easily. Um, so, you know, in terms of where has the industry hit a plateau, if, if, uh, for some way somebody could come up with a bow that hit 450 foot a second, I don't know that it's the right time to do that you know, because to some degree, I don't know that, that that's necessarily needed. So that goes back to that primitiveness of what archery really is. And, um, but there's always going to be room for advancement. But I think what happens is, is if we look back 10 years and see where it advanced, we're like, wow, Hey, a lot of things changed. 
if you look back 10 years prior to that, it's like, wow, things have really changed. So in 10 years, things will change. Um, and I'm highly confident we'll be at the cutting edge of that. Now it happens gradually, right? Um, and then there's sometimes there's quantum leap stuff that happens and that really raises everybody's eyebrows. And so, um, again, I, I really believe that, uh, it, it won't, it won't stop. Gotcha. And there, you know, there's a couple companies out there that have already started, uh, experimenting with new materials as far as, you know, making a bow lighter. Are you guys, are you guys juggling any ideas right now that you can talk about, uh, you know, maybe some carbon fiber issues or other materials that may make a bow lighter? You know, so uh, physical weight of a bow is um, one of those things where um, they, it, it definitely trends. And then every year, to some degree, it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's, you know, it, you need it. So I'll give you an example. Um, having a bow that is sub three pounds is really important for, for somebody that's under 10 years old, just relative to their size and frame and, and ability of, of, of strength to hold up a bow. Um, they need a light bow in terms of, um, you know, uh, you know, our female segment, it's just, it's growing drastically, you know, uh, just by default, women, uh, can control a certain weight physically on a, on a bow, uh, when it's lighter versus, you know, say a bare bow at four pounds versus one at three pounds. So that said, weight is always something that trends. Um, we introduced and, June of 2013, our carbon night. So that bow, it hit the market at 3.2 pounds, you know, out, out of the box, extremely light. So from that point, we've, we've had, uh, you know, couple, couple different bows that we've, we've built different models that we've built, uh, that have been hugely excess, successful based on physical weight in terms of future stuff. Weight again, is always important to the hunter. Um, most of our flagship bows have been hovering around, I would say for the last several years, 4.2 pounds, very accepted weight for us to come out with another flagship hunting bow that was sub four pounds. It could work, but the timing is, is, is important because you can get to a point where literally, um, too, too light of a bow. It feels good in the hand, but at the shot, it's, you know, there's, uh, for people that are used to shooting rifles, for an example, if you look at a featherweight rifle versus a bull barrel, um, it's uh, it's a lot of uh, there's a lot of difference. Now, one can be more accurate for sure, but it's super super heavy. One can be light, uh, great for hiking, but again, it's it might be too light uh, at a shot. So really, it's, it comes down to what, what's trending, what application, but I think there's a relative range that's accepted. I would say for a, for a, a full-grown adult male hunting bow, once you start getting below 3.2 3 pounds, which we've already done, uh, it starts becoming almost too light. Um, and then you definitely don't want to have a bow that's bare bow, five pounds. That's pretty much too heavy. So there, we found a sweet spot, you know, three and a half to four and a half pounds. Most manufacturers are doing stuff there, but for the next game changer going, Hey, we just came out with a bow, a full adult bow that's 2.9 pounds. I think it would raise eyebrows, but actual functional practicality. I don't know how, how, how much that, you know, there's a long answer to, to physical bow weight, right. but again, it just comes down to training. Right. So, you know, talking about that, does weight of the bow have anything to do with how it absorbs 
the shock or how efficient the the bow functions? Absolutely. Um, and again, you know, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's, you know, mass weight absorbs, you know, movement. So if, um, you know, you, you, if you, if you try, if you put a vehicle in neutral and one weighs, you know, a thousand pounds, and then the other one is a, you know, full size pickup and they're both in neutral, both on flat ground, tire pressure, everything else being equal, uh, it's going to be a little harder to move the heavier vehicle. And so, you know, in, in essence, uh, as you apply pressure to it, it's able to absorb that. So mass weight is able to absorb vibration and stuff. So again, going back to the relative weight, let's just assume that, hey, if you have flagship bows, hunting bows uh, that need to be somewhere in that 3.8 to 4.2 pound range, all else being equal uh, in terms of mass weight, vibration, noise, and hand shock are something desired to not be there by a hunter. So there's other technologies that help you to, with that given mass weight, to minimize vibration, noise, and hand shock. And, and again, one of the main ones that we have in our technology is the center pivot riser. Um, the one way that I could tell a guy to, to you know, to maybe draw a visual or analogy is if, if you've ever been on a diving board, when you walk out on the end of the diving board, it flexes. And there's little rollers on a lot of diving boards that if you roll it back towards the ladder, the end of the diving board becomes a lot bouncier. So therefore, when a person jumps, um, it becomes, you know, uh, very springy, so to speak. And I learned this the hard way, unfortunately. I watched some friends on dual diving boards. They'd run up and they'd get to the ladder, run out, jump up in the air, hit the end of the diving board, spring, do these flips. I wasn't that great, but I thought, you know, I want to try that. I did that on a, on the one right beside it, and I ran out, jumped, well, it had a lot of flex in it, and it just gave under the load that I put on and man, I skinned my back on that thing and, you know, <laughs> belly flop. And I learned an important lesson that day. They actually, for their weight, they were more skilled. They took that roller and moved it out towards the tip. And what it did is it, it minimized the movement on the tip of that diving board. Our center pivot technology is the exact same thing. We're supporting the limbs on, you know, at one end where most bows are made. And then right in the center of the limb we have two belly cuts in each one. And as you draw the bow, we're able to use the full length of that limb, um, but it completely minimizes hand shock noise and vibration in, in, in ways that we can control it. So, yes, uh, vibration noise has to do with weight, but also by technology and design. Now, I know you've mentioned – we talked briefly about some of the other, you know, what makes bow tech – uh, different from the other bows, but let's just talk a little bit about, you know, your new, your new line of bows that come that have come up. Let's talk about what makes each specific thing different and or better. For example, like, uh, the risers and, and you've already, you already talked about the center pivot on the, uh, on the limbs, but let's talk maybe about the technology into the cams and the risers and, and some of the other, you know, the, the flex guard and, and whatnot. So the cams, um, again, we have uh, binaries, and, and the way we separate our binaries, um, you know, again, binary, uh, two, two cams linked together, meaning that if you draw, if you put high-risk pressure, low-risk pressure, mid-risk pressure on your grip, old-school days, that would change the timing on a dual cam. Um, if you set your knock point 
tuned the bow, shot it, and said, ah, man, I need to move my loop up a little bit. That would change the timing on your bow. If a cable or, or um, stretched one different than the other, that would change the timing on the bow because effectively, if you think about both your limbs, top and bottom, working as diving boards, if a cable length change, it would do kind of what I told you that that roller would do. It'd move it out further so one diving board would work differently. That's bad for arrow accuracy. Binary takes care of that vertical knock travel. It completely, if one cable stretches, that, that cam would rotate, but because it's linked to the other cam, it would do the exact same thing. So you you really takes out the ability for that cam system to do something different. So that's a big difference. The overdrive binary cam has that that I just explained, but then it also has a split bus cable top and bottom, which can completely control your left and right um, you know, travel of the string. And really there's no other bow system on the market that can actually do that without having to go through great amounts of limb swapping and shims and all this kind of stuff. You can t- completely take care of that. So that means accuracy for the shooter, period. Um, so that's the cam technology that separates us. Now that's another high end bows. If you look at the binary and overdrive, we just introduced a bow called the edge SB one. We've run an edge series for over a decade and really it's kind of a $400 price point bow, uh, where you get a lot of enthusiasts, beginners and seasoned hunters using this. So we use that cam system on there, but one of the big things that we have, uh, that we really introduce is, you know, rotating modules and the ability for that cam system to be applicable to many many different sized archers um, in terms of draw length and then physical abilities in terms of draw weight. You know, you got a bow that'll run from, you know, five pounds all the way up to 70 draw lengths from, you know, 15 all the way up to 31 inches. And so that technology really separates in that particular segment. Um, cable retention systems, you know, uh, cam systems, compound bows are very, you know, really what it is, is it's a, it's a, it's a block and tackle. It's a cable pulley system. When you draw a bow, you're compounding the weight from the string uh, and using the leverage. So when you come to full draw, you compound the weight to the cables. The shooter is not holding much weight. The system via the cables and limbs, everything is loaded up. So you can store a lot of energy with minimal effort at full draw. It's just simply how a compound works. Um, And so the, the reality of what's really happening is, you know, creating all those efficiencies for the archer, you're, you're, you're getting them in a position where they can actually uh, shoot the bow more accurately and not have a lot of these things, you know, going on. But with the cable retention system, all bows have to, you know, this block and tackle system. If you were to take all your cables out of whatever's holding them up, a cable rod or roller system, and in our case, in our uh, flex guard, the cables want to come in line with the string. So, of course, you got to move them away so you can get an arrow to go downrange and hit whatever you're aiming at. The problem with that is, is, again, as I explained, when you come to full draw, your cables come under full tension. You're not holding much on your string, but your cables are in a lot of tension, and they want to go back towards the arrow or in line with the string. Now, what happens is you transfer all that load into the riser. So with our flexible cable uh, flex guard system that we introduced, and we've seen a lot of instances where the industry is kind of following that trend, is when you come to full draw, that flex guard flexes and absorbs the torque that normally would be transferred into your riser. So again, what that means to the end user? Accuracy. It means you have less left and right, you're taking out more load that the system is being introduced and you can never really totally fix the shooter, but the system by itself takes takes uh, 
uh, absorbs that torque that normally would transfer into your arrows uh, to give you inconsistent left and right shots. So these are a lot of the different technologies that we've done now. As we, these last several years, we've really been boiling down being able to change the the bow. So it's been known that people go, hey, I want to order. Most dealers will say, give me a 60-70. They really mean a 70. They don't mean two bows. Um, so it's a, you know it's been known that, hey, take a 70-pound bow and you can back it down to 60. And so you can control your draw weight via the limb bolts you know, to change the physical weight that an end user wants to use. What we've done in our cam systems now through power shift technology is whatever draw weight that hunter wants to use, let's call it 65 pounds, how long they actually hold that in the draw cycle. And our cam systems have the ability to do that, change how long you hold the draw weight, uh, and really cater how you want your bow to feel. And nothing else out there really can do that right now. So if a guy wanted to order a bow directly from you guys or from a, um, from a dealer or whatever, is there – it's almost like they can build a custom bow without having to buy a custom-made bow, right? It's really what it is, yes. Okay. All right. Now, for me, especially this year with kids and um, you know, last year – I was able to shoot my bow almost every day of the summer. And uh, this year, I'll be honest, I haven't picked my bow up since April. And how how important is it to a bow manufacturer to know that you have your serious archers and you have your quote-unquote weekend warrior archers who are going to pick up their bow a couple days before the season starts, you know, a week or two before the season starts and go out to hunt. Is that is that so, is that something that you guys think about when you're designing your bows? Absolutely. Um, some of the technologies that I just explained, you know, what you know, let's let's take the example of a of a you know an enthusiast. Hey, you know, sometimes a guy goes, hey, I'm really primarily do this, whether it's a rifle hunting or something else. But you know, I want to supplement my outdoor activity with, you know, with bow hunting. Yeah, in my mind, I can't perceive that because I just, I, you know, I, 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 what, what else wouldn't you rather be doing? You know? <laughs> but, but let's just say there, there, there is that person, that one person on earth that, that, that just wants to supplement their outdoor activities with bow hunting. So they just pick it up a couple times a year. You know, at the end of the day, that person really, you know, when we're bow hunting um, or competitive shooting, it's I, what I love about it is the fact that it's really no different than what a lot of us are attracted. It's hand-eye coordination. Whether you throw a baseball and it's you're trying to accomplish something with that, a football, you know, a golf ball. We're 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 enamored with with some projectile. We're in control of a projectile leaving, you know, our hands in some way. And archery is no different. So when you're doing that, we're really enamored with hitting what we're aiming at. And so it's really important if you're only doing that, uh, you know, once or twice a year, um, you know, without a lot of practice, you want to make sure that, it, that there's not a lot of stuff changing. So all the technologies that I described with the cams and, and the flex guard and the center pivot and, and even that technology has followed suit through, through a lot of our price categories. The main reason is consistency. And fortunately, a lot of material properties have changed. One of the biggest components to 
maintaining that is in string and cables. It's a fibrous material where you can cut a cam and a riser and a limb out to hit this, the limbs, the same deflection. The risers, they're not going to move. They're not going to, you know, get softer with heat and cams aren't going to, you know, unless they're used in a way they shouldn't be, they're not going to bend on their own. So those aren't changing, but a fibrous material can. So, you know, we've, we've really spent a lot of time, you know, getting advancements in those things. So the whole idea is that when a guy picks it up before, you know, the season and he sighted it in six months earlier, the bow system will be the same. Now I can't, you know, speak to the person's form. Um, I guess that'd be like a golfer going out and, you know, um, trying to shoot a, uh, you know, par course, he can do that, but then you don't practice, you get back on six months later, you're probably going to be a little rusty, but all that said, the equipment's going to do the same thing. So we, we totally think about that. Gotcha. So now let's get into, now let's get into your guys' products, what you have on the market right now, um, what you're excited about. Um, why don't you talk about this, uh, this B, the BTX, uh, bow and, uh, why, why Bowtech is excited to have it out. Um, you know, I keep referring to the BTX, you know, or, or our product lines using the terminology flagships. And really that's what it is. It's a, it's the, it's every year you have, you know, a bow that's, that, that turns over and how do you make it better? And, and this year it's, it's the BTX. And, you know, one of the things that, that we, we have on that bow is, you know, you got a lot of different sized archers. Um, so this bow has two cam systems, you know, we call it the BTX and it's got the 28 cam, which maxes out at 28 inches. And then you have one that's called the 31, which maxes out to 31 inches. Now that said, you have the ability to cover most mainstream hunters. So that's our flagship. And, you know, it's really, it's really all those technologies that I described in one, you have the ability to, you know, they're very fast bows, but you have the ability with the power shift technology to really cater your draw length and make them very, very smooth. Um, you have options there. You have a hunting size bow at 31 inch axle to axle. Um, but you, so you've got maneuverability, but you also have stiffness and efficiencies with the, with the center pivot technologies and the, the deeper riser. So it's just a, a phenomenal piece of equipment uh, to be able to meet all your needs. It's, it's, you know, I, I kind of liken it a lot of times, you know, you, you'll see, you know, a lot of folks have played race car video games and, you know, you have to pick these cars. Hey, this one's really good in the corners you know, right. uh, but a little, you've got great suspension, but it's just, it's, you don't have that pickup speed, um, and straightaway speed, you know, so you're having to, you having to trade off. This bow has got a lot of, you know, it corners. Well, <laughs> using that analogy, it's very fast and it's going to, it's, it's, you know, you're able to be able to shoot some long distances. So it's, it's a full package. And so we're pretty excited about that. And as we supplement that with some of our other introductions, you know, you, we have a, another bow called the Boss, which the Boss has got a, all, a lot of those technologies, but it really caters to the longer archer drawing, going up to, you know, 32 inches in drawing. So you got some of those bigger guys that really want that same thing, but they just need a little bit bigger bow. So those are two of our mainstream, you know, uh, high-end bows. Uh, on the target end of things, you know, we're 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 a company that's, you know, fairly young, but in terms of 
target archery. You know, we've introduced uh, Fanatic 2.0 this year, and it's just had tremendous success. So it's for competitive shooter they're able to go out there. We have all those same technologies in there, and you know, we've sent a lot of bows to professional shooters to test. And and um, one of the things I just hear in comp is out of the box, just shooting some of the best scores. You also make. You know, you have a an Eva Shockey signature series bow. Is that is that for a specific woman or is that for any woman? Any woman. So it is a signature series bow. Interestingly enough, you know, Eva uh, and Jim Shockey are you know part of our team, and we're, we've been really excited to have them. Um, and one of the things that, you know, as we worked with, with Eva, she, you know, she, uh, she's well-versed in, in many things in terms of, uh, how she hunts, you know, rifles, you know, guns, um, uh, archery, you know, compound bows. And, um, you know, when, when we were working with her, we said, you know what, let's, let's make a bow with, you know, we're not the first ones to think about a signature series bow, but what we really wanted to do is go, Hey, listen, what, what's the, you know, our carbon, uh, carbon bows, you know, we've, we've found that, 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 um, you know, uh, females are able to hold bows that are in that 3.2 pounds way more steady than a bow, even five tenths of a pound heavier. So how could we get a bow? We knew we had carbon technology, but we also wanted to give some serious performance because she's in a, you know, she's at the high end and she's an elite hunter. And um, so as we added our overdrive binary cam technology and flex guard to that, um, but also what, what a lot of what we listening to women is, Hey, you know, I, I seen this over the years and I've done this myself with my wife. Hey, this bow's really fast, honey. You need to shoot this bow. Well, in order to shoot a fast bow, you need to store a lot of energy and they typically really don't want that. So we have a uh, flip disc technology, which is basically a, uh, under the power shift name, but it allows you to control that draw force curve uh, for that female shooter. And so all those technologies coupled under her signature series, we, we went through the roof in sales on that bow and all women have, 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 uh, you know, have, we've sold that to tons of women, different ages, and it's a serious performing bow, but again, signature series, uh, for her. Okay. Now, you know, there's obviously different types of hunting. Um, you know, you got your, you got your tree stand hunting in the Midwest and the East. You got your Western hunting where you're probably going to be taking uh, a longer shot because a, you have wide open spaces and you need to, because there's potentially less cover and the opposite kind of in, um, in the Midwest and the East. Now, is there, is there a bow? I mean, are, are all of your bows adaptable to each type of hunting scenario, or is there a bow that may perform better at a longer distance or vice versa, a shorter distance? You know, um, it, it, uh, the answer to that is, is, you know, is again, going back to all the technologies that we made, you know, we want to make a bow very efficient, but the, the, when you draw a bow back and let loose of the release, you want the system working together and have enough, you know, tight tolerances in it that it's not deviating from shot to shot by itself. You just, you know, again, can't control the shooter. Our systems, the flex guard, center pivot, overdrive binary, binary, all those things work so well together that the ability to maintain 
very, very high level accuracy at further distances is, is phenomenal. Now, again, I, I mentioned the average shot, you know, let's call it 20 yards. That's, you know, for North American game by default, the majority of that's happening with whitetail. However, there are times when you're out West, it is not unreasonable for a guy to execute a 50 yard shot on a bull elk. And so you need to maintain that accuracy. So if the system is very good at short distances and refined, then at longer distances, it's going to, it's going to uh, maintain that accuracy. So in terms of, is there a bow better? We make a bow to fit the shooter in terms of their size, you know, again, a boss for the big guy, BTX for your mainstream guys, edge SB one for you, smaller frame folks, all those technologies are in those. So they'll meet those particular needs from physical standpoint, age, um, you know, draw weight and all that kind of stuff. But those technologies are all there to help you maintain, you know, great accuracy. So, um, outside of extreme scenarios, you know, I, again, I mentioned that I went to South Africa last year and, you know, I was just blessed enough to be able to harvest a, a Cape Buffalo, now I went when I went over there. I went over there with two setups. I took a Prodigy, that was my main setup that I shot some warthogs and Paula and you know some wildebeest and you know your normal plains game animal. However, um, for a Cape buffalo, you know I you know I, I wanted a little bit more oomph. You know, uh, this is something that could potentially stomp a mud hole in you. So fortunately, uh, we, you know, we had a bow that, uh, we introduced another signature series, uh, called the Chris Kyle bow. And, uh, really for all intents and purposes, it was platformed with a lot of the technology that the prodigy was. Um, I took that bow, um, it was 83 pounds and because of the power shift technology, I could control how long I held at 83 pounds. And then I also was able to shoot a, you know, very heavy, uh, arrow. I shot a 960 grain, uh, arrow out of that. Now, anytime you start changing extremes in your bow hunting equipment like that, you're going to have trade-offs. And what was beautiful about this scenario was the fact that here I was shooting a 960 grain arrow at an 83 pound bow at an animal that would, you know, uh, would, would, would really rather not deal with you. They'd rather step on you. I wanted to make sure I had something that was efficient and accurate, but Interestingly enough, um, as I shot that heavy arrow out of the 83 pound bow with normal setup, I really quickly began to realize that my arrow flight was because the dynamic spine was, was drastically affected. So I was able to yoke tune that bow, uh, and get a 960 grain arrow to have a field point and a broadhead to hit the same point of impact. And I was able to make a, a great shot on a uh, Cape Buffalo at 30 yards, got phenomenal penetration all the way up to the knock and watch them tip over after 40 yards. So even in extreme scenarios, I could take that bow um, with the same technologies and shoot that type of animal and then come over here, you know, and, and still be able to shoot, you know, the normal North American game. Now I've I've interviewed other bow manufacturers on this show and one question I've never asked because I haven't thought of it until actually right now was is there is there a specific arrow and I don't necessarily mean brand but style of arrow that works best out of a Bowtech bow or maybe out of any bow I'm really happy that you asked that question um I've actually had a couple of arrow manufacturers reach out recently in the last several months. And most guys that, you know, if you bow hunted for a while, that this question comes up, Hey, what arrow do I use? 
right? You know, can't play golf if you don't have, you know, clubs. Uh, you need clubs and you need golf balls. Um, with bows, you need, you know, bows and you need arrows. So that question comes up every single time. Now, typically what you would have in the past, you know, I remember again, 25 years ago, you go, okay, I got a 70 pound bow. And most people are familiar with spine to get you directionally correct. Shooting a 70 pound bow, so I need this specific type spine. You go to the arrow manufacturer's chart and go, okay, I got here's 70 pounds. Here's my draw length. And it's just a matrix grid chart, you know, and then you go, okay, do I got a round wheel back then? Do I got a hatchet cam? Do I got a single cam? And get you directionally correct to where you want to be. Now, the reason they're doing that is because most people can grab an arrow and flex it over your leg and you'll experience what's called dynamic spine. How much does this move? So lighter spine, you know, 600 spine shaft. Hey, it's light draw weight, short draw lengths, that kind of stuff. Problem that, that that's happened over the years, and I experienced this, you know, my personal uh, hunting career, is you may have a desired weight and uh, of shaft, but it might not, you know, you may not be able to control it at the particular bow that you're shooting. So this is where uh, we, re, you know, it's referred to as forgiving. How forgiving is that bow system? And man, do I gotta have just a specific rest and really nail it down? I got this the right spine, but I gotta get the right length and you know, all that stuff. And and eventually if you try hard enough, you'll be able to get, you know, some people use the bullet shooting a bullet hole through paper as the is the most optimum, you know, setup. I've seen bullet holes go through paper where you've manipulated around some other, you know, some other scenario, whether it be hand torque. A perfect bullet hole, but that arrow is sitting so far inside or outside the center that you're just you really kind of you know manipulated that system. So, in terms of arrows, one thing that's really awesome if you look at our binary cam systems all the way up to our overdrive binary, when you can control vertical knock travel and horizontal knock travel, you become in a position where your bow system can really be forgiving in terms of what arrow that you use. You still want to follow your spine. You don't want to go too low. You don't want to go too high. But I just gave an example of that. Even though I was shooting 83 pounds um, with that 960 grain arrow, you know, at a whopping 204 foot a second, you know, I had massive, you know, massive arrow weight. There's a balance between speed and front of center uh, to where I, you know, I could get you know, statistically really good penetration. Fortunately, I was able to verify that when I shot the animal. Um, but I actually shot that same arrow out of a 73-pound bow and it shot fine. I just wasn't real comfortable, you know, shooting in, in the mid-100 feet a second, <laughs> you know. So, but I was able to get the both of them to tune, and the reason was because of the cam system. So the answer to your question is, is not all cam systems are created equal, Every one of them out there, I'm highly confident, can shoot some arrow, most arrow manufacturers' uh, shafts within a given spine. What I found is that you can really control, um, you know, you have a bigger range that you can use in an overdrive binary cam system. It's, it's just that simple. Perfect. So it gives you more options. Yeah, that, that definitely, definitely allows you to, I guess, make the arrow work better for you yeah and if you think about it in terms of throwing a football you know you, you know people would say oh man i got this duck and it's wobbling you know all oh, that that's a perfect tight spiral how do you get a duck you know um think about throwing a you know a spear or something 
the further that you have the point of the spear, the point of the football off in the back where the pressure is being applied, the more wobbly it's going to be. So in reference to shooting out of a bow, when you're applying pressure to the knock of the arrow, the further left, right, up or down it is from the point in the power stroke of the bow, the least, the, the less forgiving that system's going to be. Does that make sense? So when you're shooting the arrow and you have, you have the ability to align the power or the force being applied to the knock and it's in alignment with the tip of the arrow, the more forgiving that you're going to be. Now, when it comes to the arrows, again, that dynamic spine, if you, if you think about a train taking off the engine from the front, it takes off and then the next car gets pulled and the next car gets pulled and pretty soon the, finally the caboose gets going. It's kind of the same thing that happens in reverse when you shoot an arrow. You push the arrow, it flexes vertically or a vertical paradox. The point doesn't, it, it's the last thing to kind of move in the arrow. Well, if you can, in the bow system, have the ability to tune that out and make it very forgiving, you get a better range of, you know, that dynamic spine and arrow. So it really becomes more forgiving. That's a lot of information in a short period of time. I, I think I think my brain is full right now. Well, the last question the day of the day is, you know, there are a lot of bow manufacturers out there, and and sometimes people can be overwhelmed with trying to make a a cho- choice on hunting equipment. Not necessarily bows, but all hunting equipment: arrows, broadheads, everything. When a guy walks into you know, a store and he starts looking for, you know, he starts looking at different bows. Why should he really consider a bow tech? You know, um, just summarizing everything we said is, is that we don't want to force anybody into our product. And I don't think any manufacturer wants to, but you know, um, I think people think about bow tech when they think about performance, what's going to make me a better hunter. What's going to make me a better competitive archer. How can I hit what I'm aiming at easier? And so, you know, I really believe that that these, I I love the competition. I don't think, you know, Ford would be who they are without a Chevy or a Dodge or a Toyota. And we're no different. We wouldn't be here without the success of other companies that have laid the ground prior to, to us. We're happy to be in the game and we, we, we are highly confident in the technologies and that, that we're producing to make the end user uh, have a, a really great experience. But at the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to. Um, I love the fact that people can put their hand and test drive our bows, put the bow in hand and do that, and let, let the product speak for itself. Um, again, you know, uh, a lot of people walk away with our bows and in their hands because they have a great experience and some of them go to, go to, uh, other manufacturers. And, and that's great. That's why this industry is great, you know, in the way it is. And so in terms of, of our products, um, why should they walk away? I hope that that question is answered when they pick it up. Um, I really believe that, you know, we got great people, we're in a great industry and we make a, 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 a high level, um, product. And um, so I guess I kind of answered that politically. I really don't want to force our product down anybody's throats. We're just really confident that when you pick it up, um, you'll know. Gotcha. So if people want to find out more information about Bowtech, your bows, and all the technology, where should we send them? You know, get on the uh, get on the uh, our website. You know, www.bowtecharchery.com. Uh, you will learn about our product. 
you will learn about the who, what dealer, there'll be a dealer locator to what dealer you can go to in your specific area to put your hands on the product. And, you know, we're, we're uh, getting ready to launch a massive digital campaign. I think that's, you know, this, this time and area, there's, there's probably no argument that social media and media uh, altogether, this is where people find out information. And so those, those are the primary spots that you can go to, but, you know, we, we highly support our dealers in the field and um, give a uh, wide information about our products on our website. And there you have it. That's uh, Monday's podcast for you. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. Huge shout out to Botech, Mike Hernandez, for uh, coming on, uh, spending some time with us talking about his products. Huge shout out to Exodus Trail Cameras. Thank you guys for uh, sponsoring the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And last but not least, how do you win? What am I going to win from Botech? All right. So the winner of this giveaway is going to be able to choose from a Carbon Icon or their brand new flagship BTX. So I've I've shot the BTX. It's a pretty badass bow. I don't know if I've shot the Carbon Icon, but knowing from Bowtech, it's going to be a, a pretty good bow. It's going to be able to kill a deer. So the winner of this giveaway is going to be able to choose from a Carbon Icon or a BTX, left or right handed, whatever you are. How do you win? As always, go to the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page and share the post that mentions this podcast. That's step one. Step two, go to Bowtech's Facebook page and comment Nine Fingers Sent Me. That's step two. Step three, and the most important one, uh, you know, being the introduction of this podcast, go to 2% for Conservation's Facebook page. You have to like the page, and I'll uh, do my research to make sure you guys liked it. And you have to comment, Nine Fingers Sent Me. You have to do that. So, step one, share the post that mentions this podcast on the Nine Finger Chronicles Facebook page. Two, comment, Nine Fingers Sent Me on Botex Facebook page. Three, like 2% for Conservation's Facebook page and comment Nine Fingers Sent Me. So that's three things you have to do. This is a $1,000 bow. This is like a $1,000 giveaway. So what what we're hoping to do is drum up more likes and more buzz about 2% for Conservation. That's, that's the goal of this. So if you want to be entered into the to the uh, giveaway you now know what you have to do thank you guys again for tuning in and good luck in this giveaway last but not least if you're in a tree wear your damn safety harness